everyone, and welcome to a new edition of Then Again, the Northeast Georgia History Center's podcast. We're so glad to have you with us. And today we have someone with us who has been doing some work on perhaps one of the most important aspects of Georgia history, Southern history, maybe world history, barbecue. We have Dr. Craig Pascoe with us. Thanks for being with us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your work, and how you became the barbecue guru. Okay. Again, my name is uh, Craig Pascoe. I'm a professor of history at uh, Georgia College in Milledgeville. I started off getting involved in uh, barbecue in a uh, academic way back when I was working with the Atlanta History Center. Back in 2005, I submitted a proposal for a barbecue exhibit, and we had a great reaction to it. People were thrilled about it, but then 2008 came, and there were some some, uh, economic problems there. So it kind of floundered around for the next 10 years, and uh, we finally were able to get it back on, on track and around 2007-2008 and uh, ran that. Uh, so that was my first foray into barbecue. But I also became a barbecue judge uh, with Kansas City Barbecue Society, Georgia Barbecue Association, Memphis in May. Judged about 30, 40 of those uh, those contests around the country and I really enjoyed meeting the people and, and really seeing just how much barbecue means to not only the people that cooked it, but the people that ate it. Recently, in the past few years, I've, I've kind of expanded the barbecue to a, a global food perspective. I'm a program director of the Global Food Waste Studies Program at Georgia College now. There's been so much interest in, in barbecue and Southern food ways that uh, it just has kind of led from one thing to the other. So barbecue, what is, to us define our terms, as all historians are supposed to do, define barbecue for us and tell us how it came to be such a staple of Southern culture of Southern U.S. culture? Well, the way we define barbecue today is is a, a very generically. Uh, we tend to say anything cooked outside is barbecue, on a grill, on a smoker, on a pit or whatever. Now, the purists are going to say that barbecue is something that uh, is very unique, that it's done in a, in a, a pit type of environment, it has to be smoked. It's not one of those things where you fast grill something over hot coals. Uh, but we all know in American society, we tend to generalize things. And so barbecue has come to mean a little bit of everything to, to do with outdoors cooking. Even uh, vegetables uh, are considered part of the, uh, the barbecue world now. Now, as far as it becoming part of Southern culture, uh, that goes all the way back to even before European settlement in, uh, in this region. The Native Americans in the Caribbean islands and, and on the coast along Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas uh, today, they basically created these racks made out of green sticks, and then they would cook their their fish or, or their meat on top of those. Uh, that's where the term barbacoa comes from. It comes barbacoa, then the barbecue as it gets shortened. When the European settlers started to come in with, uh, with bringing enslaved Africans with them, uh, they all kind of contributed together that whole concept of how to cook meat out of doors, over pits, and over time, barbecue became a staple, not only for uh, the, the plantation house, but the, the homes of uh, poor whites in the region. Is it something that is, uh, at least at first in the period you're talking about, is it very much a class distinction food? It's not something that the elites are going to partake of necessarily? At first, it was class distinction in the terms of what was eaten by by each group. Usually in a, in a plantation situation where you had a, a slave owner and enslaved Africans, uh, the master of the plantation would get the best cuts of meat from the uh, the hog, and you know that's where you hear the term "high on the hog" mm-hmm. because the the uh, the pork shoulder things like that were considered to be the prime meats, the tenderloin, 
and things like the ribs and, and the, the guts were considered to be throwaway. And that's what the slaves would end up with, that they would be given those cuts. And they would be basically be given the idea that this is the poor people's food. And the poor people took it, the slaves took it, and they were able to make something delicious out of it. And that's kind of the story of, of world history. Uh, all the, the lower classes in any kind of society are always going to get the, the, the worst cuts of meat or the worst foods. And they've learned how to make those things taste palatable and actually taste really good. Well, you know, that's <laughs> that's the trick with barbecue. It's an olfactory delight, right? You smell it, you taste it. Uh, there's even some touch that goes along with it. And here we are on an, on an audio podcast, and it's hard to kind of get that across. But surely to goodness, all of our listeners have their own particular favorite kind of barbecue. Most of our listeners on, on this podcast or any kind of uh, uh, social media would uh, would recognize or remember that smell of meat cooking over over wood or coals and that kind of creates a, a reaction that you know they smell that they smell a hamburger cooking on the grill and it kind of brings back memories it's almost kind of uh historic that you know the early days when when mankind or uh, were learned how to, to cook with the mm. uh, cook food over coals that smell became part of their olfactory memory so we're talking about a class distinction food that the enslaved were able to turn into something delicious can you take us from there to this sort of central position at holds and in, in southern all walks of Southern culture as like a center of community, right? That's when, when communities are coming together, one of the most popular common things is we're all going to have a barbecue and it becomes right. it becomes not just a meal, it becomes a larger community-defining social event. How do we, how do we yeah. go from slave food to that? Well, you know, it was slave food, but at the same time it was community food because it was the easiest way to, to, uh, to feed large groups of people. Uh, in the American South, as early as the 1820s, there are references to barbecues being held in the state of Alabama in order to attract people to the polls, to political events. Uh, and so that would draw them there. It was a thing in plantations that sometimes the enslaved Africans were given uh, maybe a whole hog to cook for Christmas or uh, a, a special occasion. And the, to them, that was a that was a, a blessing. That was a way to a moment to celebrate, you know, celebrate around the whole hog. So it's become part of the whole concept of it's not just a food, uh, it's an event, it's a people, it's a place, it's an entire kind of culture that it represents. Full disclosure, I'm a pretty open-minded fellow, I like to think. When it comes to barbecue, I'm, I'm a fundamentalist. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I think, it, I think it has to be a pig. And I have my own particular desires of, of what sauce goes best, but... Tell us a little bit how some of these regions, regional differences start to pop up in terms of, of what kind of meat you have, how it's prepared, what the different kind of sauces are that, that come out of that. Well, as far as what the meats uh, are served in certain areas, it just depends on what's available, like you, you mentioned. that The meats are there. Uh, and hog, of course, is, is in, indigenous to, to Southern culture or Southern history. Uh, it, it was brought over by the Europeans who basically were able to raise hogs you know, places like uh, Sapo Island, uh, Defusky Island, places like that, where you've got those hogs that have direct descendants of the Spanish explorers. Uh, so that's why we have the pork or the hog as the, the focal point in the South. Other places like Texas, it's going to be a beef brisket or, or beef ribs because of the abundance of, of cattle in that region. One of the best things to, to understand how other influences affect what a, a traditional food is in a region is the sausage. Uh, it's, it's basically a ubiquitous kind of a thing on the plate that you have sausage for Texas barbecue 
Well, that's a direct result of German immigration in the late 1800s, many of whom were butchers and they started butchering operations and started making sausage. And before you know it, it becomes a, you know, kind of a, a needed thing on a plate of, of barbecue in order to be good Texas barbecue. Same thing in the mountains of Kentucky, goat, shad in, in the Chesapeake region, but sometimes fish is overlooked as a form of, uh, of barbecue because it's smoked, uh, just like a, a side of uh, a pork would be. As far as the sauces go, uh, the original sauce uh, in America was a vinegar-based sauce with a little bit of spices. That was a contribution from the enslaved Africans. I was talking to uh, a man from West Africa one time at a conference, and I asked him, I said, where did you get this idea? Where did that come from in, in African you know, foodways? Uh, and he goes, well, there's two things for vinegar is being used as a, as a uh, marinade uh, or just something to, to put on barbecue. One, it cuts the grease so you can taste the meat uh, better. And he said the other thing is it kills the germs because of the acidity in the, the vinegar. So there was a purpose for it that the enslaved Africans knew, and they basically transported that to the New World. And that was how uh, you saw barbecue sauces the way they were all the way up until the 20th century. It changes in the 20th century because of the beginning of industrialization and bottling ketchup. Uh, and someone just kind of put two and two together before you know it, vinegar and ketchup goes together. And then sugar gets thrown in because there's there's a proliferation of, of sugar, sugar production. And so we've got today, we've got all sorts of sauces. But that base now is either vinegar or, or tomato. Or if you're a South Carolinian, uh, in a lot of places, mustard base. So you've done a lot of study on this. Other than just going to lots of awesome barbecue places. Tell us how this huge topic, how do you study? How did you go about doing the research for barbecue? Well, you know, it starts off by eating a lot of barbecue. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then basically doing research in, in, uh, uh, in old books, uh, journals, uh, newspapers, you know, historical accounts. Uh, it's amazing how many things can pop up in the past 10 or 20 years. There's been a, a pro proliferation of, of literature on barbecue and the history of barbecue. I think Robert Moss is probably the most prolific writer. And he's the barbecue expert for, for Southern Living Magazine now, but he wrote a book on uh, the history of barbecue in, in uh, the South, and it's, it's kind of a, a, the Bible. So people are looking at it and studying it and then finding out that there's some really important things about barbecue that go beyond nourishment or just something to eat. And that's the fact that you mentioned the, the gatherings, uh, that communal kind of spirit. When we were doing the Atlanta History Center barbecue exhibit, we always talked about the major things to look at when you look at barbecue. It was like, who's at the table? Who's serving the food? Who's cooking the food? Who's growing the food? Why are they sitting down? There's so many different facets that you can look at at a barbecue that has that historical touch to it that people just don't realize that. And when you start to talk about that, then they begin to open up a little bit and realize just how much barbecue represents not only a food, but a history. The way you're looking at barbecue and, and the study of barbecue is a part of this new, and it's not new, but let's say it's become um, very fascinating and very popular is this study of foodways in right. academia, right? Can you talk about a little bit about how that study of foodways went from something that was just flipping through grandma's recipes to kind of realizing something that was so obvious and yet not necessarily emphasized the role of food and preparation in cultures and societies and how it helped, as you say, and this is what the website is about, sort of how it helps define them. Well, I, I think it's because 
in the past 20, 30 years, people are always looking for a different way to interpret or explain history to people. Uh, and this is one way that's been very unique in, as far as foodways in general. Back in the 1970s, they created the Southern Foodways Alliance out of the uh, University of Mississippi, and it's kind of the, uh, the dean of uh, foodway studies for the South today. In fact, this year, they're, they're going through a year of uh, looking at barbecue and kind of studying barbecue as, as a theme for their, their yearly topic. And it's because barbecue does encapsulate a lot of those things. You can say, well, barbecue, great. Slaves had to eat uh, the throwaways. After, this, after the Civil War and Emancipation, then you see the beginning of, of black pitmasters becoming an important facet of, of, of barbecue in the American South. Uh, and that, that brings in the issue of racism. And you, know, you can talk about the roles that African-Americans played in the development of barbecue in the, into the 20th century. Uh, you can see that all the way up to the present time where barbecue pitmasters are basically mainly white today. And there's kind of a reemergence of the black pitmaster, the recognition of not only what a black pitmaster can do today, like Rodney Scott and other people like that, and what they contributed, what the African-American communities contributed over the years, it oftentimes has been ignored. Has it brought communities together? I mean, you know, that's, that's something the tie that binds maybe is everybody loves barbecue. Have you seen any sort of racial healing or sort of people coming together in ways they hadn't before? It's really kind of funny. In the 50s and 60s, at the height of segregation in the American South before the Civil Rights Movement, uh, you know, worked to, to end that, you saw different situations. And I'm saying these are very you know, scattered, it's not a, a, a lot, but you see occasionally blacks and whites coming together and sitting down at the same table over a plate of barbecue. It's that ability to get together and those bonds are, are going to grow stronger because they begin to realize that, you know, we're sitting at a table, we're eating, we're just the same as each other. That's very rare. I'm, I'm not trying to say that was a normal thing, but you would right. see that in certain places where there was a place outside of um, Milledgeville, Georgia, into the 1970s, where it was kind of poor uh, segregation, and it, you could go in there, black or white, and you would pick up your plate at the at the front door, and you go out back to the pit, and there'd be tongs hanging there, and you'd pick off the hog. What you wanted, went back in, waited, and then you could sit down and eat it, blacks and whites at the same table. That was not a, the norm. But it just shows that people were willing to go to that extent. And sometimes it's over a plate of food, in this case, barbecue. Every every decent size town, if they're lucky, they should have a barbecue, has a barbecue place, right? So it's right. it's spread throughout the South. Are there any, for lack of a better word, significant historic sites that relate to the history of barbecue? Are there, you know, if I'm going to go to one place in the South that sort of helps define barbecue or is a something where somewhere... That, amaz that something amazing happened? Is there Are there places for that? I think there's some places. Lockhart, Texas is one. It has five different barbecue places. Uh, Black's being the one that uh, is my favorite. You've got Old Clinton Barbecue here in Georgia, all sorts of places from state to state that seems to be the old historic type of uh, barbecue places that are still going strong, uh, some of which are kind of uh, in jeopardy now because of the, the COVID epidemic and what it's done to their business the past couple of years. But, you know, there's always that place, but the, the, that place depends on who you are. If you grew up in South Carolina with a mustard-based barbecue sauce and eating the pork that way, that's going to be your go-to. That's going to be your icon. Uh, so barbecue, even though it's Southern, it's different. 
And that's what makes it so hard to describe because what's barbecue to you is going to be barbecue to some someone else differently somewhere down the road or down the, down the street. Well, and it's becoming increasingly difficult. I noticed there's a, a Johnny's barbecue in, in Gainesville. Are you familiar with that? Uh, they serve I'm, I'm very familiar with Johnny's in Gainesville. <laughs> they serve three different barbecue sauces because they have right. to cater to a lot of different people now. And people walk in and go, I want my red sauce, my red, my ketchup-based barbecue sauce. And if you don't have it, then you, you're not cooking barbecue. So you have to kind of begin to cater to that. And that's kind of changing the way we perceive what Southern barbecue is. Right. No, that's a fair point. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll plug Johnny's. It's good. But I, for me personally, I, everywhere I go, I want to try the barbecue. And I'm sure you're the same. That before I put sauce on anything, you got to taste the meat, Right. Right. And that's one of the real problems with modernization of, uh, of barbecue is that the demand by the, the American public in general is to have a sweet sauce smothering the meat. Right. Uh, and it just kind of loses the whole purpose of what the uh, the whole process should be. You're cooking a hog for up to 24 hours on a, on a pit and then you slather it with barbecue sauce. That's just a waste of time. It's heretical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like if you get a perfect piece of uh, beef brisket. You don't want to put sauce on it because the brisket itself and just a really basic salt and pepper you know, kind of rub is all you need for a good cut of meat. You know, people see their barbecue, not just on the meat or the sauce, but the side. You got to have the sides, the correct sides, as far as they're concerned. To be a real <laughs> well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you pick your favorite barbecue because lots of people listen to this and you might get in trouble. You can tell me what your favorite sides are. Let's go there. Oh, I think a good mac and cheese, uh, banana pudding, baked beans, a good coleslaw. If you can get those things that are made in-house, that's great. But more and more, the restaurants are having to forego that and buy pre-processed food mm -hmm. because of the cost, uh, which is a shame because it really changes that plate of barbecue because you don't really have that food that's got a little love put into it when it was being produced. Right. Right. I, I absolutely agree. So you have helped put this website together that has a lot of the information, has more information than this. Can you tell uh, folks a little bit about building that website and how they can get to it and use it? Okay. Well, it's georgiabarbecuetrails.com. It's easy to find if you just write, if you just Google in Georgia Barbecue Trails. We started doing this about four or five years ago, putting it together, and it's been online for a couple of years now. We've had a pretty good response rate to it. We've had about 17,000 views, which is good. Over 100 different countries, which is really amazing. Uh, when you get people from Sri Lanka or Togo looking at your barbecue site for Georgia barbecue, <laughs> it seems kind of strange. But we wanted to do it because... Usually the, uh, the publicity that, that comes out is barbecue places in large cities uh, like Atlanta or Chicago or, you know, Houston, all, all the barbecue places get all the, the attention. And it's usually the mom and pop places out in the countryside that don't get any attention that really serve some pretty awesome barbecue that you can't find in, in the cities. So we've kind of focused mainly on that. We have a limit on, on the number of barbecue businesses each, each company has. So in other words, if you've got five or six barbecue uh, locations in your company, we don't cover you because we're looking for the mom and pop kind of operations. And we've gone pretty active. We've got about 300 plus already uh, registered on, on the site. Uh, we're having to go through it because we had a hiatus for the past year and a half because of COVID. Pro our project now is going back through and, and finding out what's happened to all these barbecue places. Uh -huh. 
And we probably have about 10 to 15 percent that are no longer in operation just oh, because man. they weren't able to handle the, the uh, and, and some of them are excellent, were excellent barbecue places. There was one in Atlanta called Blubby's Barbecue. It had been open about eight years before the, the pandemic, had a great reputation, great food all around, and then they just couldn't make it from because of the fiscal uh, drop in, in their sales. We kind of focus on that. We we put in you know different articles that we we have in the past. We have a section on sides. Uh, we're uh, populating that with different recipes, and we're pulling recipes from local barbecue places, but also going back to the uh, 1800s and some of the early cookbooks and using those recipes that most people don't really know about. I encourage everyone to take a look at that website. It can be a great guide for you as you wind your way through the state. But before we go, could you give some advice on what do people need to think about and consider when they're sitting down to eat a plate of barbecue? Well, even when they drive into the parking lot, what they want to do first is look to see if they can find a pile of wood somewhere. Because if it's all done by gas, then you just don't, don't have that true experience of a, of a good Southern barbecue. Uh, so usually a wood pile is a good indication that they're starting with the right kind of fuel to, to make good barbecue. Uh, when you walk into a, a barbecue place, it shouldn't be frilly. It shouldn't be a kind of fancy like an Applebee's or something like that. It needs to be basic. And it needs to also have a lot of people already there because one of the key ingredients in learning, you know, knowing what a good restaurant is by the number of people that are there already. If you've got a good crowd, then you've got a good barbecue restaurant. Uh, and then basically the smell, the atmosphere, the people, it kind of creates this, this kind of positive mentality. People are happy when they're in a barbecue place. <laughs> um, if you think about it, people never go to a barbecue place when they're angry or upset. You've got to have that happy attitude. There's, there's no food better, I don't think. I think I might have to go get some right now. Well, Dr. Pasco, thank you so much for joining us today with this podcast. Thank you for making all of us hungry. And thanks for all the work you do to keep those mom and pop places alive and give a little depth to something that is truly American. Well, I appreciate it, Glenn. It's thank good you. talking to you. Likewise. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.